0: So tonight's reading is from Matthew twenty-six thirty-six to 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow He asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping
1: Great tone in your voice, mate. Love it when you read the Bible for us. It's fantastic. Who loves it? Love with Johnny Fan. Johnny Fan on Bible reading is very good. If we can have our first slide, that'd be great. Thanks. Um, we're looking at Gethsemane. Now, I know today's Palm Sunday, but if you would have been tracking with our, our series of sermons, uh, actually, we're doing seven weeks of sermons leading up toward the empty tomb. Uh, we've been actually tracking pretty much the last week of Jesus' life and the incidents that happened in the week of Jesus' life. So Palm Sunday was the beginning of that, and we talked about that quite some time ago in the life of our church. But uh, because this is the last Sunday we will get together before Easter, I'm focusing on Gethsemane, which was the garden that Jesus went to and prayed with his disciples immediately, before his arrest. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to get the next slide up, which is a map. I'm going to read to you uh, out of a Bible commentary that just yeah, just tells us this is a map of old Jerusalem on the left-hand side that was destroyed in 70 AD when the Romans came and just smashed it. Just smashed it. Um, which was a great shame and the only part of it that's really left of the old... The old Jerusalem, as it was, is there's a wall. And you will often see Jewish people praying at the wall like that and putting prayers in the old stones. There's only just one part of a wall left. The whole of the temple was destroyed. And uh, so this is a bit of a map of where the temple was, the walls... Uh, down through the valley on the right-hand side, known as the Kidron Valley, and you'll see the Garden of Gethsemane is just across the valley, and it's quite steep, they go down there. Let me read this for you. Then Jesus, they just had finished celebrating the Passover. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to them, sit here while I go over there. Out of the eastern gate, if you look at the map, out of the eastern gate, located north of the temple, Jesus and his disciples proceed along the road that crosses the brook Kedron. They continue to a point near the place where this road divides into three branches, each leading to the Mount of Olives. Somewhere near this fork was a grove called Gethsemane. In all, probably, in all probability, that means olive press. It must have been a secluded spot, fenced perhaps, and containing some olive trees, and perhaps a grotto that in autumn of the year was used as a olive press. Was Did Jesus know the owner of the... Gethsemane the olive grove we don't really know possibly so Uh, for he was often there with his disciples went to a quiet place to be with them regularly to teach to rest to eat and to pray so that was their special sacred spot it's very interesting that Judas Iscariot one of the 12 knew that of course and in John chapter 18 verses 1 and 2 When they had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples, crossed the Kidron Valley. This is John's version of going to the garden. And on the other side, there was a garden and he went and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So we see this scene where Jesus is praying in the garden. He's accompanied with his disciples. He takes just a few of his close disciples a little bit further, and he goes off to pray. Here he is in this secluded spot, but he's ambushed. Judas knows where Jesus is. He knows that in all probability, 100% likelihood, he's going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane because that's where he goes to retreat and to pray. And so we see this ambush coming at night. Because they didn't want to try to arrest Jesus. It's interesting that the scripture talks that Judas looked for an opportune time to betray Jesus. He looked for an opportunity where the crowd wouldn't be around. If they arrested Jesus in broad daylight, there may have been a riot. There may have been incredible hostilities. So Jesus knows that it's coming to a climax and that's why he confronted Judas at the Last Supper. Sent him on his way to do what he had to do, to go and do it quickly. It's interesting that here in this olive press, what the word Gethsemane we think means, in this Gethsemane, Jesus died to himself. He laid down his own will. Jesus died to himself, but on the cross, he died for you. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus died to himself, but on the cross, he died for you and of course Jesus knew that he had a mission very clearly he knew what God wanted him to do and in the garden of Gethsemane Jesus signed off on the mission now you might think was Jesus really know what was going to happen to him did he was just going along in this this crazy set of events that spiraled out of control he's arrested he's taken he's tried in this ridiculous court this sham this ridiculous injustice of the 70 leaders of the Jerusalem council. He's taken to Pontius Pilate, who was the the governor. He's then taken to King Herod, who's uh, like a, a regional king in Galilee. And he ends up being crucified. This whole outrageous set of events. Did he know what was going to happen? Well, Mark chapter 10 tells us he knew exactly what his mission would be. Listen to how clearly Jesus articulates to his disciples before Before it all unfolds, Jesus knew the mission that God had laid out before him. We are going to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man, which is a title he gave to himself. Read about that in Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, hand him over to the Gentiles, Who will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. This is before. It's like reading. You've already read the Gospels. And it's like somebody has written a summary of what happened to Jesus on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. It's not the case. This Jesus had a very clear picture. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wrestled with his will. Obviously, nobody wants to go through that. He wrestled with his will and the will of God. And then in prayer, he signed off on the mission and proceeded to come and be the wonderful Saviour of the world by giving his life for us. Max Licato says this He says, In the Garden of Eden, Adam took a fall, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took a stand. I love the contrast of that. Adam in the Garden of Eden took a fall. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he took a stand for the mission of God. And note this, that if we want to fulfill God's plan for our life, if you really, really, really want God's plan for your life, do you really want God's will for your life? I'm serious. Do you really, really want God's will and plan for your life? Two things are going to be required if you want that. You're going to have to wrestle that into your experience through prayer. That's the first thing that's going to happen. It won't be easy. You have to wrestle your will against God's will for your life. The second thing is that you need to submit to the will of God in your life. You need to be obedient in the moment, moment by moment, as your life goes on. So two things: if you really want the will of God in your life, you need to pray that in. You need to wrestle that in. Jesus wrestled the will of God into his life through prayer, and he uh, submitted to the will of God in his life. If we truly want that, he um, he said this. Let's have our next slide, please. He said in prayer to God, "Not as I will, but as you will. May your will be done." When was the last time you were in a prayer meeting and you said, Oh God, I want to pray to you, but I don't want my will to be done. You know, I'm, I'm, I, you know, don't do what I want. Don't do what, you know, it's not what I want that really matters. When I go to a prayer meeting, I'm all about telling God what I want. I'm all about telling God all the reasons why I want what I want and trying to justify them. When was the last time you prayed, Actually, I don't want to do what I want to do. I'm prepared to take my will and, and subject it to the will of God. Are we prepared to pray prayers? that puts our will subject to the will of God. Because unless we pray our prayers and have a submission to God in every single area of our life, unless we submit and yield ourselves to God, we will not find the will of God for our lives and we will miss the plan of God for our life. If we truly want the will of God in our life, two things are necessary. We've got to pray and wrestle that into our experience and we have to submit to that particular thing and it's sometimes very difficult look at uh, in jesus experience and i'm reading from matthew 26 if you want to flick that open on your phone matthew 26 verse 38 this is jesus as he as he wrestles this is not easy stuff then he said to them my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death this is jesus that's not a person without faith. It's not a person with, 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 with struggles, with mental health in, an, in, a, in a powerful way. Here he is, Jesus, the Son of God, wrestling. Stay here and keep watch. Other, other versions of the Bible there, the message says, the sorrow is crushing my life out. The Passion Translation says, My heart is overwhelmed and crushed with grief. It feels as though I'm dying. That's how Jesus feels when he goes into the garden. That is the depth of despair. Luke talks about him sweating drops of blood. The pressure is so great. Breaks the capillaries in his face. It is in the crucible of the difficulties of life where submission to God is incredibly critical because it will make you or break you. It is when you are in the hardest times in your life where it's very difficult, where life is powerfully overwhelming you, where your spirit and just think, give me a break, God. It's those times when you say, I actually submit to your will, God. I lay it down, even though I'm in incredibly overwhelming sorrow and pain and emotional distress. I will pray, I will find and do the will of God. Look at this wonderful process we see in our next slide about how this works out. You see, Jesus is in incredible anguish. We've just talked about that. And even the Son of God feels like that. It's okay as a human being to be crushed. It's okay to a human being to be... Just like life is being squeezed out of you. That's not godlessness. That's life. Life is sometimes crushing, difficult, painful. It's the human experience. It was Jesus' human experience. So being in that state is not a matter of being not a good Christian. It's just life. At times, life sucks. Everybody said, Amen. So You didn't dare to, did you? You might go on the tape. Pain. So Jesus goes in there, he prays. How many times does Jesus pray? In in the story? Did you pay attention? How many times did he, he pray? Three times. He prayed the prayer, then he went and repeated the prayer, and then he went and repeated the prayer again. Why did he do that? How come Jesus just didn't Jesus, the son of God, why did he just pray once and go, Yep, we're good to go? Why? Because I'm telling you this, sometimes wrestling with the will of God is a process and it's a difficult process and it's a hard process. And sometimes in life where there's things that are really troubling you, you need to pray about them and you need to pray about them and you need to pray about them. Even Jesus needed to pray repetitively about these things in his life in order to bring them under the submission of God. He prayed and then he prayed and then he prayed. He asked for the support of others and didn't get it. That happens in life. Yeah. Thank you for that. But he prayed and he wrestled and it took a process of pouring the same prayer out. I don't, not my will, but yours, this cup, this cup of, of anguish and, and suffering, this cup of suffering, if I have to drink this cup of suffering dry, I don't want to do it, but it's not my will, it's your will that needs to be done. Sometimes life, you need to drink the cup of suffering. Sometimes that's God's will for your life. But Jesus brings it to God in prayer. He doesn't run away from God. He brings the anguish of God to prayer. He doesn't hide from God. He doesn't go on a disobedient rant. He prays when he's in pain. What do you do? He prays. Asked for the support of others and didn't get it, but he still prayed. And then you find he finds this tremendous sense of peace and poise and power to obey. He rises up from this situation. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And then he has this encounter with people. One of the people in the mob that came to arrest Jesus was the high priest's servant. His name was Malchus. Luke's gospel records what happened. Uh, Peter, who is impetuous and probably very alpha in his personality, he grabs a sword and he swings it at Malchus, who, who ducks. And Malchus's ear gets cut off. And in the midst of him being arrested, Jesus picks up the ear of Malchus And he puts it back on his head and he heals him. Jesus has got complete control. Judas comes up, has arranged with the gang, the one I kiss is the one to arrest him. So he comes up. Jesus knows what's happening. Jesus knows that, of course, there's a whole horde of people pouring up the hill into the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's happening. He's going to be arrested. This is the beginning of the spiral towards the cross. And so um, Judas comes up, the one I kiss is the one, arrest him. So going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. What poise. If Judas came up to betray me in that situation, I would have dropped one in his guts. I thought I'm going to be arrested, but I'm going to take him down with one. I'm going to hit him in the guts and then knee him in the head. Yes, I'm going to be arrested, but I'm going to get a few good ones in. How many people are in the Larry Galbraith camp of retaliation? I'm going to punch him right in the guts really hard and I'm going to break his nose with an upper knee and it's going to be all over like that because how dare you, my friend, do this? I'm just going to, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be overwhelmed, but I'm going to get you a few good shots on the way down. Jesus is not like me. Thank God. Judas kisses him and he's in complete control. And he says, do what you must do, friend. He heals Malchus's ear. Then the extraordinary thing is, he starts to teach the crowd that have come to arrest him. He says to them, he says to them, "Um, cut the high priest here. Jesus says, put back your sword, put it back in its place, said Jesus to them all. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. That is advice that every single powerful leader in every single nation has seemed to have failed to understand. The absolute downward spiral, if I hurt you, you'll hurt me. Why do we have all this catastrophe and danger and war? Because you're going to bomb me and I'm going to bomb you back and I'm going to bomb you and you're going to bomb me back. Palestine is still in the throes of not understanding the teaching of Jesus where he gave this very teaching and the Palestinians and the Jewish nation are still pounding the daylights out of each other because they haven't understood the master's words, put away your sword. And the problem is with global leaders, Jesus gives a mandate here for humanity and if we only took a, a, a... on board we wouldn't have had the wars and the disasters and hostilities that we've had this is global wisdom in the midst of him being arrested he's healing people he's giving global wisdom that would have changed the course of history if people and leaders would only take it on board this is Jesus he's gone from pain to prayer to peace to pause and he's now got power to obey this is what prayer can do it can transform us from that anxiety then can you believe it He rebukes the crowd. Uh, Do you not think that I can call on on my father? I'll go at verse 55. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to catch me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Jesus knew his mission. And he just signed off on it with prayer. Then all the disciples, disciples deserted him. And so there he is healing. Healing the high priest who was going to condemn him to death. His servants here. He's telling Peter to put it away. So he's giving global mandates to everybody. And even though he is seemingly powerless because he's being arrested, he rebukes the crowd. The mob that had stormed up the hill. To arrest him, puts them in their place. Somebody once said that they've came, they came with torches to arrest the light of the world. They came with clubs and swords to seize the Prince of Peace. <clears throat> so prayer is central to fulfilling and finding God's plan for your life. It is absolutely prayer and submission to the will of God. In your hour of need. Pray. In your hour of suffering, if suffering seems to be the pathway that's going to be lining up for you, pray. If you've got friends that let you down and they let you down again and they let you down again, pray. If you've got friends and family that have betrayed you, pray. If you've got others that want to seem to harm you, even though you feel innocent, pray. And we recognize that that is difficult because Jesus said to them as he came back and reminded his disciples that they were to pray and and he was to go over there and pray and they were to kind of support him. He came back to them and said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many people can relate to that? Kind of in our heart of hearts, we want to do the right thing. In our heart of hearts, we want to be prayerful and obedient. But the reality is that our flesh, at so many levels, wars against us. And here again, here again, this is a statement that helps us understand our humanity for all time. We resonate with that statement. Yet again, in this context, another pithy statement that summarizes human nature. Yes, that's me, Jesus. In my heart, I want to serve you. In my heart, I want to worship you. In my heart, I want to do this. In my heart, I want to do that. But when I go to do it, it just stuffs up. I just fail. Somehow, it seems like my flesh is very weak. And in the end, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Because in the end, obedience, you need to go the road of obedience alone. If others go with you, that's good. But it's not necessary. And so, alone, we find that Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, when you read about it, is the council of 70 Jewish elders that ruled over the Jewish nation, the 70 leaders. He stood alone before the Sanhedrin that night on an outrageous, ridiculous, trumped up charges, and injustice was handed out to him. He alone stood before Pontius Pilate, the Roman appointed governor. And King Herod of Galilee. But he had his poise and he had his peace. He alone was flogged and mocked and punched and spat on and had a crown of thorns jammed on his head. And a purple robe draped over him like mocking him as if some sort of a king He was alone in that space, but he was obedient. He was submitted to the will of God. And alone he would cry out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Finding God's will for your life means being obedient in the the moment. And so Jesus was obedient then. Look, we always have a choice. Jesus had a choice. You know that Jesus didn't have to die. He could have pulled the pin at the last moment. He says, verse 53, and this is beyond our reading in Matthew 26. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Don't you think that even in this situation, as you're arresting me, don't you think that I can call out to God and 12 legions of angels will come? A legion, 6,000. 12 times 6,000 is a lot they told me this morning at 72,000 i understand now what's so big about that need angels a single angel is an absolutely terrifying being that god has created absolutely full on and terrifying i'll give you two examples number 1 when at the resurrection tomb an angel came down and rolled away the stone that was like a massive multi-tonne structure. It rolled away the stone, sat upon it, and the 12 to 18 Roman guards fell like dead men on the floor, terrified in some sort of a dead faint, ran with their tail in between their legs off to tell the high priest and the governor what had happened. And so they saw an angel absolutely overwhelmed by it. When an angel turns up to Mary and Joseph, the first thing the angel says, please don't be afraid. Don't... Fear not, don't be afraid, because they are terrifying. And you see, in this world, Satan, the adversary of God, the devil, is in fact a single fallen angel. That's how big, that's how powerful, and that's how influential they are. And so Jesus says, I can get 72,000 72, of these suckers straight out of heaven, and he would absolutely wipe the Roman Empire out. Wipe out the Roman Empire because Jesus talks about the end of time where he will send out his angels across humanity and gather humanity before God for judgment. They can do that. An angel of death swept across Egypt. Every firstborn died as the 10th plague in the Exodus. An angel of death took out every firstborn thing, man, woman, and beast so they're terrifying. Jesus says, I can do that. Jesus had a choice. He chose the will of God. He could have chosen the exit plan and saved himself. He chose to submit to the will of God. Because the will of God was going to save humanity. And he chose the higher cause. We always have a choice. You have a choice and I have a choice. Moment by moment to obey God. We do or we don't. It comes down to praying, not my will, Lord. Lord. But yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to pray a prayer in a minute and I'm going to ask you to think about and give some categories. And if you think that this is you, at the end of when I give this short list, I'm going to ask you to stand and pray. Because I'm going to I want to pray for those of us who are really struggling with the will of God in our life. Who have got circumstances where we're trying to bring to God. And I just want to pray a prayer that God would help us in this. And so in this prayer ministry, which will only take a minute or two before the band comes up, um, I I want you to consider standing up and receiving a prayer where you're standing. Uh, Are you facing a season of suffering? Does the pathway ahead for your life look, look difficult? Are you feeling let down or betrayed even by others? Are you faced with a choice? that requires wrestling and obedience in the moment are you in fact just wrestling with the will of god for your life is your will in tussle with god's will will in your life do you feel sorrow and crushed do you feel like life has just crushed the life and the spirit out of you are you realising that you need to go the path of obedience and you may even need to go that path of obedience alone? Do you need that sense of peace and poise and power to obey God in your life? If that's you, just stand up now and I'm going to pray and it's going to conclude our message that way. If that's you, just stand up and I'll pray for you. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we do what Jesus has modelled us. We come to you. You know, Lord, what's happening in people's lives, and I don't. You know the state of their hearts, and I don't. You know the state of their anxieties, and I don't. But, Lord, you do. And they stand here before you, Lord, because right now, Heavenly Father, we submit our will to your will. Right now we say your will be done, not mine. Uh, Heavenly Father, we give our lives to you. We trust you. We ask, dear God, as we wrestle and we give everything to you, that we would move out of this meeting. Lord, that as we've wrestled in this space, that we would in fact have that peace. That even in the midst of mayhem, we will be the person of peace. We will be the person of poise. Because we know we are in the plan of God. And so, Lord, grant these wonderful people your peace. Release to God right now the burden that is on your heart. Release it to Him now in prayer. Give it over to Him. If you're wrestling, say in your heart now to God, Your will, Lord, I want Your will be done. I submit. My will to your will. I want your plan and your purpose in my life. And I pray to God, that you would give them extraordinary peace. That you would, Heavenly Father, give them the power to be obedient. Even if it means they have to walk the obedient path of suffering alone. They know that you are with them. They know that they are not truly alone. That you are with them to strengthen them. I just pray, dear God, that the plan you have for their life will come to fruition. The greatest thing they can do, Lord, is to seek your will and your way in their life. And that is where the great blessings lie. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's all stand up and sing this great song.